Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Psalm 95, go to your Bible, Psalm 95. And we're gonna talk today about celebrating in the Lord. To celebrate in the Lord. As we uh, take this day to set it aside, <coughs> excuse me, the cough hadn't gone in case you're wondering, all right? But as we set aside this day, again, just to celebrate. And listen, we, we all know how to celebrate in one way or another, right? I mean, we celebrate when our team beats our rival team, right? We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate when a project that you've been working on for a long time comes to fruition. Uh, we celebrate, I'll tell you when I celebrate, I celebrate <clears throat> when I can't find something. And I am laboring for minutes and minutes and minutes until after several minutes of after all this laboring, I say, Abby, do you know where this is? I can't find it. Have you looked for it? Yes, I've labored for literally minutes. And she walks right in and finds it, and I celebrate. Anybody with me in that, huh? I celebrate when she finds in five seconds, which I've labored for for minutes before I needed her help, right? But we, we know how to celebrate. <clears throat> but here's the reality. Our faith is a celebrating faith. In fact, if you look at God's word, you see times where, uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, there were these different feasts that God had appointed, parties in a sense, but parties with a purpose, a remembrance, if you will. And as you look in the Old Testament, when God speaks to his people about these feasts, he tells them to do this, to celebrate, celebrate at these feasts. Here's why, it's because when we celebrate, it does several things for us. Number one, it I think it helps us remember, right? When we celebrate a birthday, we're, we're remembering, we're thinking about all the years that God's given us and we're grateful for those moments. But celebrating also realigns us to what we value. I've shared with this with you before, but it is true. What you celebrate ultimately is what you value. And so when we take times to be intentional about celebrating, it realigns us to, <laughs> to remember what is most important. And today in Psalm chapter 95, we're going to see a psalm that I think helps us not just see how to celebrate, but, but why we celebrate. And, and, and today I think it's going to be helpful for us. So I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. And I'm going to ask you for forgiveness today as I put in a cough drop, <clears throat> but you'll thank me on the backside, I promise. I don't have to hack through this entire time today. We're going to read beginning in verse 1 all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hands and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. As at Meribah on the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I had did. 
For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Let's pray together. Father, today we do celebrate. And we know that we have a lot to celebrate. And Lord, even if our circumstances and situations in life find ourselves in a place where celebration comes difficult. Lord, we know that the greatest need in our life is our sin problem. And because of your love and your unmerited kindness towards us, you have reconciled us to you in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so we should celebrate today. And we can celebrate despite what's happening in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as you speak today through your word, that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive it and lives that are ready to follow it. And so, God, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 95, some of you, there may be some verses in there that were familiar, but here's what I believe. I think this text is going to help us to show us how we can celebrate, why we celebrate, and the most meaningful way to celebrate. And at the same time, as we navigate through this, I'm going to draw our attention to what we should celebrate of what God has done among the people of First West this year and what I believe that he's calling us to do in the year ahead. As I said, it realigns us to what we value and what we chase after. And so in this text today in Psalm 95, if I could sum it up for you, it's simply this, that the psalmist, which most believe is David, uh, the psalmist calls people to worship our worthy God with joyful proclamation and humble reverence. While God calls the people, unlike the Israelites in the wilderness, to walk in obedient faith. And so our takeaway today is this. While we rightfully celebrate our worthy God, he calls us to walk in obedient faith. While we rightfully celebrate our worthy God, he calls us to walk in obedient faith. So let's begin here with the first portion of this psalm. This psalm is really broken into two different sections. You have verse 1 through almost the end of verse 7, and then you have the very end of verse 7 through the end of the chapter. The first thing I want us to see today is simply this, that God's people rightfully celebrate in triumphant praise and humble reverence. As you look here at verse 1, verse 2, and verse 6, we're going to see a repetition of a phrase of let us. Now, I want you to remember that phrase for the end of our message because we're going to see it show back up. But he begins in verse 1, come let us. Verse 2, let us. Verse 6, come let us. Most believe that David here is recording what, what would have been heard by the priests at the time of either one of the feasts, potentially the Feast of Tabernacles, or on the Sabbath when the people were coming to worship. And you hear these three calls, let us, let us, let us, and an invitation to come. So potentially you have a priest or someone there proclaiming outside the temple, come, let us, shout triumphantly. It's an invitation to the temple. Then potentially the next one, you have someone in the outer courts of the temple, and they're inviting people to come even further into, into God's presence. Let us, and then finally that third one in verse six to let us. It is coming into the most intimate place of worship for God's people. But this invitation, let us, let us, let us. And then we see this cry of triumphant praise, right? Verse one, let us shout. I need to say it loud, right? Let us shout joyfully. Let us shout triumphantly. Now as Baptists, we're not real good at that, are we? Right, we're just going to keep it right here, 10 and 2, baby. Right, we just, <laughs> right here. And here's what this priest is saying. He said, let's go. Let's go. You 
think about the passion of a sporting event. You think about the passion of, of that first grandbaby that's born. Let's go. For you men in the room, you come in here and we worship through song and you say, man, I'm not a singer. Well, listen, worship is more than just about singing. Some translations say sing here, sing to the Lord. I think the CSB translation is better because it's more forceful than just to sing. Let me give you evidence of that. You go to a football game, and for three hours, people are going nuts, aren't they? Some of you ripping your shirts off, swinging them over your head, right? You just go nuts. And at the end of the game, your college team wins, and you sing the alma mater. And it's like something totally changed. What? Right? For three hours, we've been going berserk. And now we're going to sing the alma mater. Listen, our God is worthy of more than just an alma mater, right? He is. And so the way we celebrate, the call here of the psalmist was, listen, shout triumphantly, shout joyfully to the Lord. I love what C.H. Spurgeon says and the importance of not just enjoying God and being thankful for God, but proclaiming it to him. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but hear this, it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. Now listen to this. This is so good. You got to listen carefully, but listen. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it's expressed. He says, it is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. Or to come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur. And then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch. He said it's to hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. He's saying it's, it's not consummated. But when we praise it, when we say it out loud, when we, when we triumphantly praise the Lord, it is the confirmation of what our hearts burn with, and we are proclaiming it to him. So we rightfully celebrate God when we triumphantly praise. But not just that. Look with me in verse 6. It's not just triumphant praise, but it's humble reference. He says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. In this one verse here, three different references to a lowering of the posture before God. He says there, come let us worship. This literally means to lay prostrate before God, to, to lay your body down. So let's lay our body down in response to God to celebrate him. Let's kneel before him. Let's bow to him. Here, here's what this verse is calling us to as we celebrate who God is and what he's done. It's that my outward posture would reveal my inner understanding of knowing who God is and who I am. Let me say that again. The call here for humble reverence is an outward posture that is revealing an inward understanding of who God is and who I am. I think one of the greatest pictures of this, most clear pictures of this is in the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus has been walking with his followers. He's doing miracles. They're starting to figure out who this Jesus is, but they don't quite fully understand him. 
And we know, Scripture teaches that Jesus, he is the Son of God. He is fully man and fully God. But when he walked here on earth, his divinity was in some way veiled by his humanity. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see Peter, James, and John go with Jesus up on this mountain. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And when he appears on the Mount of Transfiguration, the veil of his humanity is stripped back. And they see him in all of his glory as the truly divine Son of God. And it says that there is a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says that for Peter, James, and John, they fell with their faces to the ground. That in the presence of God's glory and in hearing the voice of the Father, they could do no other than to lay prostrate on the ground. It was an outward picture of an inward understanding that he is God and I'm not. And here's the reality at the Mount of Transfiguration. It was involuntary. And I believe it'll be true of every single one of us that are in Christ, that have trusted him by faith and turned from our sin, that at that moment when we see Christ, we will go to the ground in reverence of who he is and what he's done for us. It was involuntary for these three men. But I think what we see is the pattern of their life from that point forward. And the prayer for us is that we would be people that would voluntarily have humble reverence before God, a weight that we would feel before God. So we have a celebrating faith, a faith that celebrates in triumphant praise to God because he's worth it. At the same time, we feel the weight. It is not a flippant word, uh, just giving words uh, to someone, but, but there is a weight, there is an understanding. It's like if you've ever been in a place and someone famous walked in that you weren't expecting and all of a sudden there's a weight in the room of, oh my gosh, that's so-and-so. There's a weight. And I love here is that he's showing us how we respond, how we celebrate who our God is. And he tells us why. He, he gives us the reality. In fact, we've been singing about it today, but, but I want you to see why. Why do we do it? And ultimately, it's because God is above all things. Look with me in verse 1. He tells us to shout triumphantly what? To the rock of our salvation. What does that word rock mean? It means strong. It means steady. It means eternal. It means that my salvation, my relationship with the Lord is not wrapped up in my situation and circumstances. Let me say that again. Some of you need to hear this today because you're walking through a season of difficulty right now. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. You feel it. Life has gone completely the wrong way for you right now. Your salvation, your faith is placed on the rock. And he does not change. And he is faithful to a thousand generations. So why do I sing in triumphant praise when life is difficult? Because I worship the rock of my salvation. Who is steady and strong and eternal and does not change. But not just that. Gosh, I love, man, that last song that we sang. That Have you ever seen a king like this? He is a king like no other. And that's what the psalmist is pulling out for us today. There's no one like our God. Look at him in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God, a great king who is above all, ours, or all other gods. There is no God like this. Why do we worship him? Why do we celebrate him? Because he's over all gods as the king of kings. Why do we celebrate him? Because God is above all things. He is the creator. Verse 4. But the depths of the earth 
The lowest of the low is in his hand. And the mountain peaks, the highest of the highs, there he is. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. It's the immensity of who God is. Why do we celebrate? Because of who he is. He's over all things in creation. He's over all other so-called gods. He's over all my circumstances and situations I face. But not just that. Look with me in verse 7. He's over my life. He's my shepherd. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. I want you to feel the significance of what the psalmist is saying there, what David is saying there. It's not just that he's a big God. It's not just that he's a great God. It's not just that he is the king of all kings and over all gods. He's our God. He's ours. Like we belong to him. Man, grandparents in the room, you go to that dance recital. That's my baby. And she's better than all of them. I don't care if she sat up there and cried the whole time. She's better at crying than the rest of them, right? She's mine. David says, we're the people of his pasture. We're under his sheep's, under his under his care. Literally in, in that verse, the word care there, it's hand. So we see over and over again in this passage, I want you to notice it. If you have your Bible there, you can, you can circle it in your Bible. If you have your phone, don't circle it. You'll regret it later, all right? But, but some of you got that, thank you. Uh, but we see him talking about hands over and over again, right? Look at me in verse four, the depths of the earth are what? In his hand. Verse 5, the sea is his and he made it. His hands formed the dry land. And now here in verse 7, we are the sheep that are under that hand. Again, I want you to think about that. The hands that hold the depths. The hands that form the dry land. It's the same hand that Jesus says that we are in his hand and no one can snatch you out. And so we're reminded today that we absolutely better be people who have a celebrating faith because we have a God that's worthy to be celebrated. And at the same time, it humbles us. It reminds us that everything that we are and everything that we see God do in our midst, in our individual lives as a church is all because of him. And we celebrate that he is our God. And so as an individual, I pray that over this last year, you can look back and see moments in your life. It may not have been the easiest year, or maybe it's been the best year of your life, but you can celebrate God's faithfulness over and over again. Man, as a church, we want to, on this day, as we're celebrating what he's done over the last year, we want to be reminded that we have much to celebrate. This last 12 months, we've seen God do some incredible things. For some of you that have been a part of our church for the last 12 months, you may remember about this time last year, we had a moment of, of pledging to this See To It Fund. It was a two-year pledge that we were giving to say, hey, over the next two years, this is what our family, or me as an individual, this is what I'm investing into the kingdom of God through this local congregation as First West because we want to see God do something incredible in our midst. And so many of you in here, you made that pledge over two years. And so we're at a halfway point of that two-year pledge. And we just want to rejoice at what God has done from that day to this. 
Over the last 12 months, we've seen over 120 people come to faith in Christ and to be baptized. And we celebrate in that. In fact, in fact, we've got multiple services, we've got multiple campuses, I understand that. But if you're here today, if you're here today and you've been baptized over the last 12 months, would you just stand up? I know there's two of them sitting right here because I watched you today, boys. Awesome. There's many more lives like them over the last 12 months. Either they've come to faith in Christ and been baptized, or they've come to a point in their life of knowing that, you know what, I've never followed through in a believer's baptism, and I need to get right with the Lord and do that. So we celebrate what God has done in changed lives. We celebrate as we've been continuing to come out of this global pandemic. I know we're tired of hearing it, but it's a reality. And here's the truth. I'm sorry to tell you, but this pastor right now got no formal training in my education on how to pastor in a global pandemic, right? And so we've been trying to connect and reach and to get back. And, and so in worship and people connected in worship, we've set goals as a team of saying, man, this is what we want to work towards. We want to believe God for this. And so we want you to see on the screen some goals that we set of what we wanted to accomplish, of, of how many of us are inviting and making invitations to people in our lives and our community. And even what our in-person attendance goal of 1375 and to see that over the last year across all of our campuses to be at almost 1900 people attending in person. Man, we rejoice in God's faithfulness and what he's done. Yeah, we can rejoice in that. In community, not just people being a part of a worship service, but we say here that life groups are the heartbeat of our church. We want you to find yourself in biblical community, connected with people that you can be available with, that you can be vulnerable with, that you can be accountable to, to be growing in your faith with people side by side. Listen, rows are good. Hear me. Rows are good. Circles are better. We want you in a circle of biblical community. And we rejoice. We want you to see this number up here. Unique attenders. That's the number of people that attend a life group sometime in a month. Our goal has been 1702. And we've achieved that goal of 1723 across all three of our campuses. We rejoice in that, the people getting connected to life group. And here's the thing. We want you to see today that it's not just a number on the screen, but this is reality. About six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, we introduced you, Evan introduced you to a couple, the Lipscombs. Are they, are they in here somewhere? Lipscombs? Can y'all stand up just the Lipscombs? You guys stand up real quick. We introduced you to them. They're a new, uh, a new couple that's come to our area, that's connected to our church. God put on their heart and said, hey, we want to start a new life group. And we brought them up and introduced you and said, hey, they're starting a new life group. And if you're not connected to a life group, we want to get you connected to a life group. Hey, Lipscomb Life Group, would you guys stand up? Come on. You guys did great. Y'all nailed it. Thank you. Now, listen, I think there's one couple in there that was a part of a life group before that, but the other couples weren't connected to a life group. We started a new life group, and they said, hey, we want to find our place to belong. Are you guys happy to be part of the Lipscomb Life Group? Okay, now answer honestly. No, I'm just kidding, all right? Yeah. Man, we've seen God do some incredible things. And here's another young married life group that's been formed and young married's getting connected. And you don't need for me to explain a lot of the importance of young people getting connected to our church, do you? And so we celebrate what God is doing in service. You know we're a church that wants to be not just about ourselves, but making a difference in our community and around the world. The number of people that we've been serving, we had a goal for 870. And we've seen 912 get connected to serve, not just inside the walls of the church, but outside the walls of the church. And so there's all these things that we've seen God do that we rejoice in. Even in the last year in our giving as a church, 
Listen, I unashamedly, and there's some pastors that shrink back, but I think that you're mature enough that we can have an honest conversation that when we ask you to give, we're not talking about what we want from you. We're, we're talking about what we want for you. And that's for you to know that you're leveraging what God has blessed you with to invest in something that's going to last for all of eternity. And over the last three years, in 2019-20, if you may remember, if you were part of our church, we had our budget and then we had the separate transform offering. That year, we had roughly $5.65 million that were given to our church that went out to make a difference. In 2020-2021, we saw that number jump to 5.82, 5.83. And last year, almost $6.2 million that was given. Our people sacrificially giving, what? To see people changed by the gospel and living out their Christ-centered purpose. As a part of this, a year ago, see to it project, we laid out for you some things that we thought were important with our facilities things that we wanted to see happen that we think are important steps to set our church up for the next 20 or 30 years. Today, we're going to have the opportunity when I get done to eat some burgers, and then we're going to go cut a ribbon as we go into our newly renovated Feasel Chapel. We've seen that place become a, we believe, top-notch, high-class, excellent facility that's going to help us connect with people in our community through weddings, through funerals, through other events that are taking place. We've started our second service here now that the first week we had around 190 people that were part of that service. And so it's just a beautiful place for us to leverage tools and gifts that we didn't have beforehand to accomplish our mission and our vision. Church, let me be very clear with you. We have a lot to celebrate. God has been very good to us over the last 12, 12 months. But I don't want you to miss this today. Because there's more to the psalm here. There, there's, I told you, a shift in the second part here of verse 7. Let's look at this quickly. He says here, today. Say today. Does that mean yesterday? Nope. Thank you. <laughs> it means today. Today, if you hear his voice. Here's the imperative. Here's the instruction he gives to you out of the psalm. Do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Two words I would give you to describe what that means. Stubborn and rebellious. Some of you just said, I know that person. <laughs> Stubborn and rebellious. And he gives us an example here. He gives an example of the Israelites that are wandering in the wilderness. He speaks to here of Meribah and Manasseh, or Massa. We see in the wilderness there's actually two Meribahs, and, but he's speaking to, to Massa. And, and look at what he says here in verse, nine, in verse, verse 8 and 9. Sorry, verse 9. He speaks here, your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. If you remember that story in the Old Testament, God delivers his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Um, they cross through the Red Sea. They come to the promised land that God had prepared for them. The spies go in. They come out. The ten say, we can't go. The giants are too big. And because of their lack of faith, God says, then you'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years. But yet God in his grace, because of his love, he's caring for his people all along. He's providing uh, a, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. He's providing manna from heaven that would be good for 24 hours. And the next day he'd get up and he'd be there again, day after day after day. He's caring for these, these rebellious people and his mercy towards them. But they start grumbling. And they come to Moses and they say, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us, didn't you? What are we doing? 
Moses goes to the Lord and says, God, they're going to stone me. You've got to do something. They're thirsty. God says, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to take that staff in your hand. The same staff that struck the Nile that turned it into blood is one of the plagues. as a remembrance, right, of what God was doing and what he had done. I want you to go strike that rock and water is going to come forth. And it tells us in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, listen to what it says here. He named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained. And because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So the psalmist here, and thinking about celebrating, there's a call for triumphant praise. There's a call for humble reverence. But you see, I think the more significant call here, and it's the harder call, is for obedient faith. Second thing I want you to see here quickly is that God's people meaningfully celebrate through obedient faith. And he's, he's calling you to obedient faith by telling you not to do the contrast, the opposite, which was a hardened heart. It was rebellion. It was stubbornness. It was a will, an unwillingness to follow what God had called him to. And he says there in verse 11, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. I want you to hear today. You can come in here and you can sing songs to the Lord. But Jesus made it real clear. He said, if you obey me, I'm sorry. He said, if you love me, don't sing songs to me. He said, if you love me, he didn't say attend a life group. He said, if you love me, obey my commands. See, the call here is for us to celebrate what God has done by to walk in obedient faith. Here were these people wandering in the wilderness. Even the visual of Moses using the same staff that God had used to deliver them from slavery and oppression. He still has the visual of that staff of God's faithfulness and God's provision. And here's these people looking back with hardened hearts and not walking forward in obedient faith. Church, I want to tell you, the Lord longs for us to celebrate him in triumphant praise. He longs for us to celebrate him in humble reverence. But I think what blesses his heart even more is a church that celebrates him in obedient faith of walking forward, trusting the staff that's in his hand. And so church, I want to tell you that now's the time for us to continue to take those steps of faith. And over the next 12 months, as we wrap up this two-year Seed to It Fund, our goal is to continue taking steps forward. I'm excited in the months ahead to lay out for you a, a revamped vision for missions and what we're doing as a missions church and taking a step by faith of a new approach of how we're trying to accomplish what God has for us. I'm excited in the 12 months ahead for us to continue to build on this renewed foundation that we've seen over the last couple of years in our next-gen ministry and continuing to reach students and children and preschoolers in our community. I'm excited for us to take steps of faith in local ministry, continuing to be the church that has a heart for our neighborhoods and the nations. I'm excited about what God's doing in us and among us. I'm excited even with our facilities. Again, as Last year, as we laid out this vision of what we believe God was leading us to, there were these multiple projects that we were pushing forward. And that time, our congregation, we approved those projects. But I told you clearly, I said, listen, just because we've approved them today doesn't mean we're starting today. That we want to use wisdom to go step by step through these projects in a process that we feel like we're being good, wise stewards. 
We said from the very beginning, we feel like Fiesel Chapel is, is important to go first. And so we rejoice in that today we're going to get to cut the ribbon and to let you see Fiesel Chapel for those that haven't seen it yet. But we said the most significant part of that was a renovation of this room right here. You know, the one that some of you still call the new worship center. I've said it before, but ain't none of you calling your 20-year-old your new baby, right? And as you look, this was fascinating. As you look at the over 100-year rhythm of our church, what you find is that roughly every 20 years, this body of believers would either build a new worship center or renovate the one that they're in. It's come that time again. It's come that time again for us to try to leverage this facility to help us accomplish our vision and our mission. And so about six weeks ago, we met with our project steering team. That is a group of about 15 people, you, made up of different generations in our church that have helped give leadership to these projects. We met with them and we said, listen, we've done Fiesel and we have set our eyes towards the worship center, but this is not my call to make as the pastor. It's not our staff. This is for us as a church together. And we said, Project steering team, this is it. And man, I can't tell you how blessed this pastor's heart was that the two oldest members, two senior adults that were a part of that project steering team, one of them said, I'll make the motion that it is time for us to move forward on renovating our worship center. And the other senior adult said, you know what? I'm gonna second that motion. I want, in a sense, we want our names to be in the minutes of this meeting that it was us that were saying, let's go. It's time to walk in obedient faith. And so our project steering team unanimously said it's time to move forward. And so because we're Baptists, we love committees. And so it then went to our long range planning committee made up of a wide swath of people that are a part of this body. And we've been talking about this for years at the same time. We've understand this is a big step to take. Let me tell you why it's a big step to take. Because the renovation of this room is going to cost $5.5 million. It's a big step of faith. But in that long-range planning committee, as we've been talking about this for years, talking about the weight of a decision like that, two of the oldest members of our long-range planning committee, one of them raised her hand and she said, you know what, I make the motion. With all the facts in front of us, I make the motion, it's time for us to move forward. And one of the other senior adults, part of that committee, said, I second that. It's time to move forward. And our long-range planning approved it unanimously. So then it went to our finance committee. At the end of the day, our finance committee is the one that's going to say yes or no, whether we go or not, because at the end of the day, they're there to help our church be wise stewards of what God's provided. And two weeks ago, our finance committee, we had a deep discussion about $5.5 million. And we want to take a step of faith, but we don't want to be unwise and to get our church into an unhealthy financial position that limits our ability to do what God's called us to do. And two weeks ago, two of the older people on our finance committee said, I'll make that motion and I'll second it. And so here's two takeaways I want you to hear today. Number one is this, we're a go to renovate this room. And I can't tell you how pumped I am, how that's going to set us up for the next 20 to 30 years to do effective ministry in this room. But secondly, if our meeting adults in here, if our young adults here today, if our teenagers, I want you to know that it is the senior saints of this church 
the ones who may not even get to enjoy the 20 years or 30 years that it's going to help us. It's time to walk by faith. It's time to go. And so I celebrate today how the people of this church are pushing me to celebrate the Lord, not just in triumph and praise and humble reverence, but step by faith. And so today we have a lot to celebrate. Here's what I wanna ask for you today. For some of you in here today, man, you need to respond. You see in Hebrews three and four, he references Psalm 95 a lot. But he says this, let us, there's that verbiage again from Psalm 95, let us then make every effort to enter that rest. Some of you today, you need to enter into the rest of God's, being a part of God's family because you need to confess your sin to him. You need to respond to him by faith. You see, we enter into his rest by grace. It's not through effort, it's by grace. But for the believer, when you understand the grace that's been shown to you, effort comes with it. Because out of joy and out of response and out of love to God, you're gonna give effort. And let me say this very clearly. Your effort is always, students, hear this. Your effort is always connected to what's at stake. A couple years ago, Abby got me a new cooler. I've reached that stage where I got really excited about it. I killed a deer, it was quartered up. I took it to the deer processor and he said, what's your name? I said, Michael Wood. He says, is that okay if I write it on here? I said, sure. He took out a sharpen, he wrote W-O-O-D-S. That's not my last name. It's Michael Wood, right? He wrote Woods. I tell people all the time, Woods, Watson, he's a forest, I'm a tree. Okay, there's just one of me. But listen, I didn't say anything to that guy. I haven't scratched it out. Why? Because it's just a dumb, it's not a dumb cooler. I'm sorry, baby. It's a (laughs) great cooler. But I didn't correct it. But imagine a scenario where I get a call from the IRS that says, hey, Michael Woods, you owe the government $250,000. Let me tell you something. You think I'm going to make every effort to correct that mistake? Absolutely. Because that's not me. For a cooler, I'm not giving much effort, am I? He says, make every effort. Church, in the year ahead, would it be said to the people of First West that we're gonna walk in obedient faith to take steps where God has to come through, but we're gonna do our part to make every effort. For some of you today, your response as you think about this Seed to It Fund is we're halfway through now. When you leave today, there's gonna be cards that look just like this that are by the blue buckets. An opportunity for several different people in here. For some of you, You made a pledge last year and your financial picture has changed and your pledge is gonna change for for the coming year. And that's okay. For some of you, that pledge is gonna go. For some of you, by faith, you're just trusting the Lord. That pledge may come down a little bit. And listen, that's okay. We want you to be willing to ask the Lord, God, what does it look like for me to be giving sacrificially to invest in the kingdom? For some of you, you never made a pledge last year. You weren't a part of our church. Maybe for whatever reason you didn't and you'd say, you know what? I'm ready to make a pledge. Why is that important? Because it helps your leadership of your church to have a better picture of how to spend our money wisely and to know what initiatives that we can invest in, what things we can move forward with because we have a better financial picture. I don't know what your pledge is, 
pretty much nobody knows who your pledge is. We've got a finance office. It obviously has to give us a total number, but this is between you and the Lord. So some of you today, you need to make a pledge. Say, hey, over the next year, with what we want to do in ministry, what we want to do in missions, what we want to do with these projects, man, over the next 12 months, this is what myself or our family, this is what we're going to give. Some of you today, you've heard that the leadership of this church has said, hey, it's time to take a step of faith and to move forward. And you hear the significance of renovating this room, the difference that it will make. And you hear a number like $5.5 million. And here's what you realize, that God's been very good to you financially. Maybe in the last 12 months, maybe over the last three decades, I don't know. But you would say, you know, for me to make every effort, I can take a big chunk out of that 5.5. And I'm asking you boldly today, if that's for you, I pray that you take that obedient step of faith. Not for my sake, I'll never know. But as a church, we would celebrate the Lord with triumphant praise because he's worthy of it. We'd celebrate with humble, humble reverence because he's a king like no other. And that we would be people together that would trust God and take that step of faith. Would you bow your heads with me today? Today in this moment, just want to invite you. Do you know that you can be at rest with the Lord? Has there been that moment in your life where you've trusted in him? Called on the name of Jesus to come into your life and to save you. Just as we worship today, the verse God brought to my heart was, oh Lord, if you kept record of sin, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Today, scripture tells us that when we place our faith in Christ, he forgives us of our past and our sin, and we can be made into a right relationship with the God who created all things with his hands and yet cares for us under the leadership of that shepherd's hand. Today, maybe you need to say yes to him. Maybe today, you just realize you've been in a season of life where there's been a lot of sulking and not a lot of celebrating. And today, God's reminded you, regardless where you find yourself, he's the rock of your salvation. Today is a renewed commitment to celebrate in triumphant praise and humble reverence and obedient faith. And maybe today the Spirit of God is, is you're seeing where this church is headed and big decisions that have been made and faith steps in front of us. Maybe the Spirit of God today is challenging you and saying, am I making every effort? And if not, God, would you give me the boldness and the courage and the trust to move forward. Father, today, I'm thankful to be in your house, to be with your people, to be reminded that you were a king like no other, and to hear what our rightful response should be in worship and obedience, stepping out in faith. So God, would it be said of us that we are people who make every effort, every effort in our life. Lord, we pray for the year ahead for our church. We want to see more life change, more people coming to faith in Christ. We see more people connected to our family, more people connected in a life group, more people using their gifts, as we've been talking about the last several weeks, using their gifts in service. God, we want to see you do something among us that could only be described as God is working. Help us to take those steps of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need, and I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104, and we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.